This episode is sponsored by The Scott Box, sending novelty Scottish care packages full of all those yummy treats from Scotland, such as Iron Brew and Tunnocks, to Australia. Go to www.thescott-box.com and use the code BRITAustralian to get 10% off your order. All the links are on the page that you're listening to this podcast. Many of us Brits who've moved to Australia rely on social media as a way to connect with each other and to help us navigate our way through life down under. Around 10 years ago, our next guest started a Facebook group with a couple of mates and it's now become the largest online community for Brits living in Perth. I'm Russell Birder from a lovely island in the Thames Estuary called Canvey Island in Essex. I'm married to an Australian with Italian background and we have three beautiful little Brit-Australian children. Russ is the founder of the Facebook group Poms in Perth. POM is an endearing term that the Aussies like to use for the English and it goes all the way back to the year 1788 when the first convicts arrived in Australia. Can you tell our listeners who might not know what the word POM means? Oh, I believe POM means prisoner of Her Majesty um, and I've always been confused why that is attached to us and not actually attached to the Australians. For me, that's the biggest puzzle that I've ever had since I've come out here, but they want to call us POMs, so I've kind of just adopted that and, you know, there's no point getting upset. The Australians are used to sledging, so we just accept it and move on. <laughs> we are in their country. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, could you just tell us a little bit, because I found this hilarious. I heard you on a radio interview and you explained how this Facebook group came about. So can you tell us where its origins started? Yeah, look, it was it was really an accidental um, setup. It was set up as a bit of a pub group, basically. So um came out to Perth 15 years ago. Um, we were all pretty new to Facebook. It, um, I think it kicked off when we were all at university, say maybe 16, 17 years ago. And I was pretty fresh in Perth and uh, they, they brought up a groups function. So me and a couple of mates, we all worked offshore. So we're all up on the oil and gas. So we're all working offshore on the, the rigs there as surveyors. And we said, look, um, why don't we use this new groups function, set up a little group, and um, we'll we'll use it just to coordinate when we're all back in Perth. It really wasn't intended to be what it is today. And we just started getting random people joining. And we're like, oh, I remember saying to one of my friends, Ollie, I said, what do we do? And he said, well, I've never heard of him. Who is he? Oh, I don't know. Do we just accept? <laughs> I mean, what happens? He goes, oh, yes, just accept. And it, and it was, you know, there was a couple of people joined in the first few weeks. Then there was a few more. But then it just started taking off. And because we went offshore, you didn't really have that that good a connection with internet. And um, we'd get back from being offshore and we're like, geez, there's, there's 30 people that want to join. Okay, let's just let's let them in. And it just grew from there. And, it, and then obviously the, the admin team I've got around me, Helen, Mark, Dave, well, the two Marks, um, through that process, they joined and then really helped kind of drive and manage that group. So yeah, that's its history, really. So you've got five people running this for you now. I really don't understand how they have the time of the day between having three young kids myself, a pretty intense job, and having this group, which has just grown arms and legs. Having Helen and the team there has just been a godsend because I don't think it could be managed the way it is. And I, I don't know how she has the time of the day to do it and, and the rest of the guys there. Yeah, well, it has really taken off, hasn't it? How many yep. members have you got now? I think we've got over 27,000. So it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty mental. <laughs> wow. And... 
Are you noticing more people joining at certain times of the year or has there been like an influx of people at some time or...? I can't really say whether during the COVID lockdown we've seen an influx of people joining. All I can say is that um, between the, the five of us, there's oh, it's probably 60 to 100 requests a week coming in. Wow, that's a lot of people mm. joining. Um, okay, so this group where people ask for advice on things like how can you get EastEnders on the telly over here? Or for anyone listening in the UK, we can't access BBC iPlayer, by the way. <laughs> or, you know, they'll post a photo of a creepy crawly they found in their house and they'll ask any if anyone knows if they need to be worried, <laughs> if it's dangerous. So can you tell us a little bit about this group and how it's helpful to people who live here? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll latch on to the funny part, the the spider question. Um, I, look, to be honest, I'm a I'm the biggest wuss with spiders, and uh, I don't know if it's an ongoing joke with with uh, poms over here at the moment. But yeah, the amount of times we'll get a spider picture and the comments. Sometimes it's just interesting just to sit there with a glass of wine with your missus or your partner, whoever it might be, and just read some of the comments because they're hilarious. And you can guarantee the first comments will be, get the deodorant can out, set it alight, burn the house down, blow torch it, move out. It's just <laughs> There's some crazy responses there. And, and most of the time it's a daddy long leg spider or someone say, is this is this some man-eating tarantula that lives in Perth and lurks under my sink? It's like, no, no, it's just a, it's a little innocent spider that's not going to harm you. And then occasionally you see a red back and you go, yeah, probably don't put your hand anywhere near that. Maybe it's best to try and get rid of it. But yeah, it was pretty comical. I mean, that's the comical side, but then you get the serious stuff as well. So you'll get the, the request about visa assistance or someone wanting a, a tradie that, you know, comes recommended and people can trust because I think people have a, a slight fear that they're going to get, um, uh, I guess, taken a run for their money with the tradies. And, and I mean, my experience has been really good in Perth, but, you know, people love to give a good recommendation. So a lot of that sort of stuff gets shared on there as well. Yeah, it is really useful. I've actually found it useful. I've found an electrician off of there <laughs> yeah. and all sorts. It's brilliant. Um, do you think it's like a little community for the Brits who live here? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I don't think I've mentioned it yet. My um, my partner's Australian. Her family are originally Italian. They had the old Italian clubs. So when you look at her grandparents or a nonno and nonna, that's uh, words I've learned recently. Oh. But when you look at the uh, old grandparents, they had the Italian clubs. And um, yeah, in our in our modern day era, we have the digital rooms, and I, I think Ponds in Perth kind of kind of sits in that. It's not quite the same, but it kind of sits there. We don't yeah. have a we don't have an English club. We all wander down to and play bowls and throw darts and drink. I don't know pints of Carlin, um, but we have Ponds in Perth, and and sometimes it can be just as good. So you got married to an Australian Italian lady. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So you met here, did you? Yeah, I met here. I, I um, just through mutual friends, actually. Uh, I guess the rest is history. Aww. We met that day and then got married and had three kids. And yeah, there you go. And is she the reason that you're in Perth today? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think we've probably Aww, all got similar lovely. stories on that because I think if I hadn't met my wife, I probably was having a few wobbles. Um, so I was considering going back to the UK, um, but then I met my wife and yeah, you just, your whole outlook changes and Perth's amazing. So it is. that just helped stay really. That just cemented the decision of why I came out. How long had you been here before you met your wife? Uh, we've been married eight years and we've known each other for probably nine. So of the 15, so I would have been out here for about six years before I met my wife. Wow, so you were here for quite a while. Yeah, and yeah. You st- and you weren't actually sure that this is where you were going to stay. Yeah, I was still having a few. I was, I was still having because my, um, yeah, I was still having a few wobbles. Really, I'd, I had a few kind of hit and miss girlfriends, and a, and I was working offshore, and there was just a few things going on. I just, I think I was having that wobble, and I was thinking, do I go back to the UK? And it literally was at the time I met my wife. 
Yeah, it does make a difference, mm. actually, when you meet somebody here and, yeah, you, and you settle. So how often do you go home? Do you call England home? What do you say? Uh, how often do I go back? I think I probably do still refer to it as home. I think it's less and less. And because of COVID and having three kids and getting married and buying a house and all those other wonderful things, um, it has an impact on your finances as you're kicking off on that journey. So I've gone back less in later years. Um, so it's probably last time I went back was maybe two years ago now, which is probably not that bad. But before that, I hadn't gone back for four years. Um, and then, yeah, I was going back every year for about the first seven to eight years. And then after that, it got more infrequent because I was starting my young family. So, and yeah. Have you taken your children back? Yes, I've taken. So I went back with my wife and my eldest, Sophia. Um, so we went back to see the family and then a year after, uh, two years after that, we went back with my son, who's the middle one, Raphael, Raph. Um, and then the youngest, Alia, was due to go back this year and, and COVID's completely kiwashed that. So she, and she keeps reminding me, she's going, dad, I haven't been back yet. It's my turn. I want to go, I want to go back and see the family. Do you talk to your children about your British culture or teach them anything about where you're from? How do you find that with your children growing up in Australia? They're Australian. Mm. How do you, how do you find that? Yeah, no, it's, it's quite interesting. We're in a bit of a mixed household because we've got the Australian part. Um, we've got the Italian part and the kids definitely relate to the Italian part. And then the, the British part is exactly the same. They relate to that as well. So it's it, we talk about it all the time. Um, and when they go to school, I mean, I'll give you an example. We've, we've got the battle of the yogurt versus yogurt. Oh, God. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's just a tip of an iceberg. There's lots of these little battles. But I, I was losing miserably with the kids where they were telling me I wasn't talking properly and I need to <laughs> pronounce it properly. And dad, you're not in you're not in Britain anymore, blah, blah, blah. And um, and then luckily for me, my daughter started to make really good friends with an Irish family, a South African family, and a couple of um, uh, North, I think one's from Wigan and one's from Lancashire. And so now she's got this little group of friends who have parents who come from, um, I guess, that part of the world. South Africa's a bit of a rogue one there. And they're all saying yogurt. Yeah, I have to make sure I got that right way around. Yes, then. And you did. yeah, so so she's she's now started saying so now there's the battle of the yogurt and the yogurt in the school, and so she's got this little core group, and so now she's saying it the way we say it at home. I like that. <laughs> um, do they know much about England and where you're from? Yeah, no, we we talk about it a lot. We just bought a portal, and I hadn't heard of the portal, um, which is like a webcam you attach to your um, TV. And so it just integrates into Messenger and WhatsApp. And uh, we call the family on the portal. And it's literally like having granddad or great granddad or, you know, the cousins on the TV and they're life size. So it's like they're all sitting in the lounge and the camera just moves around. It tracks you in your lounge. And so we've really been using that a lot in the last six months. And um, so the kids have a lot of interactions with my family back in the UK. And we're always talking about we're always talking about England and what's going on back home and and not just England. I mean, some of the family Scottish, some's Irish. So there's there's a real big mix there. Oh, that's so good! That portal sounds brilliant. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, it's 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 a surprise purchase. I was a bit I was a bit unsure, but I bought into the hype of my family back in the UK, and it's actually really good. What do you miss most about about home? Um, I probably miss all of the really bad food that we grew up on in the eighties and nineties before everyone started realizing sugar was bad for you. 
So there is a real, uh, there's a real kind of miss of um, cocoa and frosted shreddies, uh, pop tarts, all the things that I know I shouldn't really eat and I don't really want my kids to eat. But they're the things that just stick there fondly in my memory uh, of um, waking up in the morning and having that sugar laced cereal and enjoying it with ice cold milk. That that's probably the the one that really sticks in mind because now because we're so health conscious, it's like here's some pretty boring Weetabix or Weetabix or Weetabix, yeah. whatever, <laughs> and and here's some really boring uh, cornflakes with no sugar attached to them whatsoever. So, yeah, that's probably one thing. And, yeah, because of health reasons, I'm not trying to mimic that with my kids, but I think that's something that's missed. You can't miss the food too much. Your wife's a chef. Come on. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, When you first came over here, did you come over for work? What was your visa? Yeah, so I came over um, on a 457. Um, So it was a four-year visa and it was... um, Sponsorship? Yeah, sponsored, sponsored. So... Yeah, I uh, I had a uh, grandmother pass away in the UK and I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go and do something a bit wacky. And one of my friends, our industry is quite prevalent with freelancers. So if you look at um, how many people come out as with an offshore surveying degree, so it's mapping the seabed and, and um, understanding all of the science around that and, and processing that data. Interesting. Yeah. Well, there's, there's not many universities in Australia that that do it. And um, so they do rely on international support to plug that skill set. So there's there's actually quite a big freelance market. So people that will live around the world, come and do the job, and then they'll go back again. And so I had friends who had worked for a company down here in Australia, for Woodside, off the Northwest Shelf. And he said, oh, look, they're looking for surveyors and they they actually want to grow their workforce. They don't just want to use um, freelancers. They want to sponsor, bring people in and expand because they're growing and there's a lot of work going on at the moment. So, yeah, I had that um, loss in the family and I I just literally decided to send my CV into an email address they gave me. How old were you at the time? uh, I would have been 23. Just nearly 23. Oh, quite young. So, yeah, so I sent it in and within half an hour I got a response um, saying, can we call you? And this was, this would have been very early hours of the morning. So I'm, a, I'm an early riser and I'd sent the email in about 6, 6.30 in the morning. I got the email back by 7, so eight hours ahead for Australia. And then uh, I said, yeah, I'll give you a call. And uh, we're on the phone. We did a phone interview, lasted two and a half hours Wow! and then he said how quick can you get out and I'm like oh kind of bit like hesitant I wasn't expecting it to be that spon- that quick and uh, I was like well just get my just give me t- my dad's getting married I've got to have my notice in and uh, just give me maybe four weeks and he said yep four weeks done we'll start booking your flights we'll sort your visas out um, and I was like okay do you need any info from me he said yeah the HR will reach out to you in the next coming hours via email if you give them the information I was like okay so I got off my phone and I, I was actually shell shocked and I was like oh um, I'm going to Australia in four weeks <laughs> what am I going to do so there was just this I remember telling my my parents and they were like uh, they didn't believe me first of all and then my granddad was more cautious he was like are you sure this is real are you sure this isn't some sort of um, scheme they're not going to get your money I said no I'm not. they're buying my stuff they're buying the flights they're doing that so, so they paid for everything your employers every, everything was paid for that's how desperate they were so wow you are lucky yeah I mean it's a bit bit different now so that would have been back in 2006 yeah, so early 2006, and I literally, I sold everything. I had a mini mail board um, that I used to use to go surfing down in the southwest of the UK, just at Fistral Beach. And so I literally sold everything. I packed my bags. Um, I had my flight with Emirates, and I remember going to check in. I had this massive suitcase. It was probably about 40 kilos, and I had my big seven foot six mini mail. 
And I rocked up to the desk and I said, oh, I'm, I'm off to the And she was, oh, that bag looks heavy. And I said, oh, yeah, look, I'm, I've got a Siemens ticket. And she went, oh, I suppose you've got a Nectar card as well, have you? And I said, <laughs> I said well, no, because for us in the marine industry, if you have a Siemens ticket or a, 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 a sort of Siemens book, it means you're a mariner, you get extra allowance. And oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, so, so when I told her I had a Siemens ticket, <laughs> she just looked at me and said, have you got a Nectar card or a Tesco club card? Thinking I was trying to every, everything under the book to try and get extra allowance. <laughs> so she got a supervisor over. I managed to check it all in without being paid any excess luggage. And I just remember landing in Perth, never been to Australia, and I got out of the airplane and um, and I, I can just remember just smelling eucalyptus. That's all the memory that sticks in my mind was smelling eucalyptus. And the, one of the owners, because the business has since been sold and I've stayed with it for the whole 15 years, but it's changed hands a few times. Um, but one of the owners picked me up and um, I got dropped off at the Rose and Crown in Guildford. And I was there uh, probably four weeks. And then I was in a company house in West Perth uh, for another three months paid for. And then eventually I got my first apartment in West Perth. Jammy, you did really well, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, I did well, yeah. That's fab. For anyone who's back in the UK now and they want to come to Australia, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because when you look at jumping overseas, you know, there, there's, there's the, especially where I grew up in Essex, um, you've got the Costa del Essex, which is a, a big swath of Spain where most of the people from Essex have moved to. And so, you know, when you talk, when you when you're talking to your friends back home, there's, the horizons kind of go out in waves. So there's there's the group that think about Europe. They think about France. They think about Spain. They think about the language barrier. But there's there's so many people, so many Brits living over there that they form these little enclaves. <laughs> so it's no different to us here in Australia. Definitely. But, um, they form these enclaves. And, and, and I guess, but it's still quite close to home. I think Australia, I think the, 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 the I think Australia has the tyranny of distance. So technology means we can communicate a lot easier with our family. I do remember still using phone cards when I came out 15 years ago and going into the phone boxes and using the phone card, very quickly replaced by Skype and various oh, other... Oh, that would have been tough. Yeah, it would have been, but um, it was only because I didn't really have a good internet connection. Um, yeah. But then once uh, once we got the internet and stuff, then Skype was used more often. But when I look at it, it's Australia really... The, but Australia does have the distance. Um, I think it makes it easier that... Culturally, we are very similar. Um, I often joke to say that Australians really are just Brits who've had sunlight and got cheerful. I mean, when you look at us back at home, people call us whinging or moaning palms. It's just because we don't see sunlight very often. So you come over to Australia, you give us sunlight for a, I don't know, a couple of months, and you, you know Australia, you come to Perth and hundred days of straight sunshine, and then basically you start turning into an Australian because that's all we needed, sunlight. Definitely. And then we're not whingy or moany anymore. I so. know. Just for anyone back home who's listening, over here we are known as whinging poms, aren't we? Like yeah. that's just what we're known for. Yeah. But over here they do see us as whingers. Yeah. I do love a good whinge though, don't you? Oh, you do. It's, it's, a, it's a fine art. You've got to tune that in. Um, but yeah, so look, culturally it's very similar. Um, it's just it's just that leap of faith. It's that initial leap of faith. But when you get out of here, it's actually, you know, there's a lot of support, um, culturally similar. There's great groups. Obviously, Poms in Perth is one of them. Of course, I'm going to shout that out. But there's great groups in place. And I just think the, the process of moving over is not as difficult as it used to be. Why do you reckon it's, you said it's not as difficult as it used to be to come over here? What did you mean by that? I just think technology has made things a lot easier. I just think, you know, if you go, I mean, I wasn't a 10 pound pom. Obviously, I'm only 15 years, so it's not that long ago, really, in the grand scheme of things. But when you look at, um, say, the next generation up, so equivalent of our parents, 
Um, if you look at our parents when they came out, if they came out, they would have come out as a ten pound pom. Which again, for anyone that doesn't know that, that's you know, it's it's very big in Australia. In the UK, maybe we don't remember it, but in Australia, a lot of the original poms came out on basically um, ships. They paid ten pound. There was a big scheme on Australia to bring more immigration out, and so they came out. But when they came out, there was there was phones, but phones were expensive to ring back home. There was a lot more of the old school letter writing. You know, communicating back home was um, was a lot more difficult. And I and and I really, I really think the communication piece is what makes it easier. And and that's where technology has made things a lot more. Um, more streamlined for for us to be able to move out here. Obviously, oh, yeah. there's all the visa requirements and the skills and everything else you need. Obviously, Australia's quite strict on that, and you need to have that skill set for them. Um, but once you're out here, it's it's not as hard as it used to be. So you used to do what we call over here FIFO work, fly in, fly out work. Yeah. You used to do that from back at home. But here, see, that's a really big thing over here. But when I was back at home, I'd never heard of FIFO or fly in, fly out work. Yep. So can you just explain to us what that is and what that's like? In the UK, when I worked for a company back there, I kind of experienced it. We didn't call it FIFO, but I experienced it because I was working overseas. So for me, it wasn't unusual to do that. But for the general UK population, it's quite an unusual concept. In Australia, it's very common. Um, so FIFO really, Perth's a very isolated city. All of its natural resources predominantly sit to the north of the state. And that's, you know, jump on a plane, that's a two-hour flight. If you go further north or further inland, it could even be up to three hours and you're still within the same state flying around. And so when they when they use the term FIFO, that's someone who will jump on a plane at the Perth domestic airport, go on an internal flight for two or three hours, which for us is like flying from the UK to Greece. And then you're still in the same state and then you appear in the middle of a dusty, dry part of the state and there they'll be mining iron ore. Or in my instance, I would fly to Dampier, uh, join a ship or uh, go on a helicopter and fly out to a rig or a survey ship and survey the, the seabed. And again, that's where all our um, oil and gas resources are in the state. So, and you do that for for um, they change the rotations all the time, but two, four, six weeks, and then you'd have time off back in Perth. So, there's a real strong flavour of FIFO work in Perth, where families have a one of the members of the um, household will fly out. You won't see him for two, four, six weeks, and then they'll come back for two, four, six weeks, and they'll be basically not working, going out, enjoying the coffee and the lifestyle, doing all the things with the kids. And they'll be enjoying having mum and dad back and and then they'll uh, repeat the process again. And do you think it's easy for anyone who might be coming out here, would it be easy for them to get a job like that when they're over here without the experience in that kind of work, do you think? Uh, Look, it depends. I mean, there's so many. I mean, my my trade's very specialised. Um, but if you look at Sparkies, you look at, um, you know, you look at that trade. I mean, that, that has applications across the board. So you can, you can locate to Perth, um, with your Sparky trade. I don't know the details. Maybe there's a, there'll be some sort of, um, conversion course probably they have to do to make sure they apply to Australian standards, no doubt. I know it was on the, um, skill set years ago when I came out under the 457, cause I remember seeing it there, but they could come out, they could work for the building industry in the metropolitan Perth. Um, and apply that trade there, or they can go out to the mines and apply that trade there. So, but when you look at those trades, it's you're basically going out to effectively what is a self-contained mini town. And so you can imagine any town will need electricians, they'll need plumbers, they'll need construction. So all of those things that you'd have in any normal town in the UK or in Perth Metropolitan is also needed in the mines. And so you can you can have one of those trades, but then become a FIFO worker. 
Um, when you first got here, did you consider that this is where you're going to be living for the rest of your life, potentially? Uh, no, I don't think I did initially. I think uh, I just had it in the big idea of it's a big adventure. So uh, the, the the industry I work in, I travelled around quite a bit. I'd been to West Africa, I'd been up into Greenland and, and, and Iceland, um, been through the Mediterranean. Um, and so I, I travelled a lot. So for me, Perth was just an extension of that, but with a little bit more serious, seriousness, obviously, locating. And I thought, I thought I'd do my four-year visa and that would be it. And I mentioned to you before, I had that wobble at six years. So I did my four-year visa. And then after my four-year visa, I actually then changed my role slightly. I took an office-based job into the more commercial tendering side. And so I had to reapply for a new 457. And I only did two years of that new 457 before I then got my permanent residency. And then obviously then jumped onto the citizenship after that as well. Yeah. So how long have you been a citizen now? Um, I think it was probably one year into meeting my wife. So probably eight years ago, I became a citizen. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Sounds like it all worked out really well for you coming over here. Yeah. It seems a bit weird how it all just seemed to align so well. Um, Like I said, if if I decided to do that now, I don't think I'm brave enough. I think back then you're a little bit more young, dumb and whatever the last part of that comment is. And um, yeah, um, now I don't think I'd have the balls to do it. (laughs) It is a big move, definitely, yes, yeah. yeah. I asked the Brit Australian Facebook community group how long they'd been in Australia. Just over one in three have been here less than 10 years. Another third of them said they'd spent 10 to 20 years of their lives in Australia. Around a quarter of the group haven't made it over yet. And only 5% said they'd been here for more than 20 years. You can join us on Facebook. Just search Brit Australian, all one word. And don't forget to follow or subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss the next episode of Brit Australian.